you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, I'm talking to David Hemat. Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right. I always worry I'm saying people's names wrong. Sorry about that. Oh, that sounds just about right. Well, uh, we had you on Ruby Rogues quite a while back. Yes, was that was... Year? Yep, I think it was around June uh, 2017. Yep, episode 315. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a good conversation. We talked about offshoring in Latin America, all that good stuff. Yeah, um, thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought this time we'd just talk about you and kind of get your story, find out where you came from, you know, what, what you're into. I'm also curious, since you're running this business that helps companies connect with developers, how much business development you do and how much software development you do. Yeah, that's uh, a question I ask myself every day, whether I'm doing the right mix. So we can definitely talk about that. Yeah, I identify with that too. So yeah, I'm always interested to hear how other people do it. But uh, let's let's dive in and let's go back to when you got into programming. How did you get into programming? Sure. So um, I think I, I've always played around with computers. Uh, my dad owned a computer shop. So, you know, I always had one around since I was a, a kid. Uh, back when it was, I think I started with Windows 3.1 or something like that. That that was the first computer I had. And later in life, uh, probably in my teenage years, I started doing just some web design, HTML, CSS, that kind of stuff. I remember I used Dreamweaver at that time. I got into Flash, Macromedia Flash back then. Uh, did a little bit of ActionScript. Um, I didn't really know any programming, though. And then I went to college. I studied telecommunications engineering. And that's uh, mostly a lot of physics, a lot of math, uh, and a lot of electronics. Uh, but we did wow. take some some programming related courses. Um, so I think I took uh, first, you know, the first stuff was uh, algorithms, and we did some mm -hmm. assembly. Uh, assembly well, that was that was a long time ago, but that was kind of my my first time really programming. Um, it was mostly microprocessors, and we took a couple other courses: object oriented programming, data structures, and. For my final project, uh, I had to build a mobile app and, and then a backend mm -hmm. for it. Uh, backend was PHP, the front end, the, the mobile app was in Java. And it was, it, it was a project that revolved around networking, actually, uh, because I studied telecom engineering. Mm -hmm. um, but I kind of had to hack my way through, <laughs> through building these apps. And, you know, I could get stuff done, but uh, I wasn't naming my variables nicely or my classes or following any kind of conventions. And eventually, I graduated, and then I got my first job as a software developer uh, for a local company here in the Dominican Republic. 
And uh, that's kind of how I started. Very cool. I think it's interesting that you you talk about how you hacked your way through it and you name your name your variables well. And boy, uh, yeah, a lot no, of people <laughs> a lot of people do that. I'm sure there's if you look back into the code, there's variables named A, B, and C. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I my uh, my program wasn't really centered around um, software development, so you know. I guess we didn't we didn't get taught that kind of stuff. Right. Well, and I find that that's something that comes with experience, right? Right, right. Trying to figure out what's going on and figuring out that I can't trace through this code very well mentally because A doesn't mean anything to me or B doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the most important things I think I picked up uh, during my uh, my college education, though, was uh, the ability to think logically, right? And that's, uh-huh. that's really the basis of, of coding for me. It's... Uh, I have this big problem. How do I divide it into smaller problems and how do I start solving each one of those? And uh, that's something that you don't only do in coding, uh, but it was really something that I feel was the most important thing I got out of my college education, more than you know specific subjects. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was a computer engineering major, so I understand to some degree, yeah, kind of the focus on hardware and logic and some of those other things that you don't do as much of in the computer science degrees. Right. Uh, you know, I, I remember at one point when we were uh, just getting started with microprocessors and microcontrollers, uh, it suddenly dawned to me that I could understand how the world worked in a certain sense. Uh, you know, uh-huh. I, I would go into an elevator and I'd click on a button and I'm like, oh, wow, I know what's going on behind this. Um, yeah. So I guess that was what really got me interested in, in, in coding. You know, it, it's just the fact that there's so many things around us that are uh, built around code. They're built around software. Yeah. So how did you go from sort of the hardware network focus to software focus? Oh, well, so I live in a small city, relatively. It's the second city in the Dominican Republic. It's called Santiago. And population is about 600,000. And there are about probably five networking jobs here. Uh, (laughs) Right. So um, I just happened to land in a software development job instead. There is, of course, a lot more software development work, especially because we can work remotely and there's not... You know, you don't have to be on site that much. So I was hired by a local company. They do a lot of work for U.S.-based companies. And the first project I was put on was Ruby on Rails. Mm -hmm. I remember I was handed this book. And I don't remember the name of the book, fortunately, for the author. Uh, It was terrible. It was a book on Ruby. And it was so scientific. And just, it was way over my head at that time, right? I read through it. I really didn't understand anything. So then I went over to Codecademy. I don't know if you've been to that site. Uh, and yeah, and I just took a Ruby course, and it was really easy. And then after that, I picked up a book by Michael Hartle, Hartle uh, it's Rails Tutorial, mm-hmm. and uh, read up on Ruby on Rails. And uh, I was assigned to my first Ruby on Rails project and got started. That's, that's kind of how I got started there. Uh, after that, I started to feel very comfortable with Ruby on Rails specifically, and so I just tried to pick up jobs that uh, kind of revolved around that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And it's funny how many of us kind of stumble onto Ruby on Rails or Ruby or, you know, some aspect of what we do now because we got some job that required it. Or, you know, my case was that uh, we needed software and the business wouldn't buy it. So I wrote it. And right. <laughs> we used Ruby on Rails for everything else in that company. We used it for that too. 
Right, right. Well, you know, Ruby on Rails is really not big uh, down here in our part of the world. Most companies are are using uh, Microsoft technologies, so they'll go around .NET, C Sharp, that kind of stuff. Some organizations like banks uh, do a lot of Java, and then PHP. It's pretty universal, um, but yeah. it's not that common to see Ruby on Rails around here. In fact, I'm probably one of like ten people that actively use Ruby on Rails in, <laughs> in the DR. I'm, I'm just maybe I'm exaggerating that number, but there's really not that many of us. Right. Um, so I was lucky to get in there. Uh, at the same time, I've never found myself out of work. Right. You know, every time a project ended or or I, I switched jobs, it just took me a couple of weeks before I could find some good work. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious, how did you get into doing the sort of consulting referral stuff? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's a funny story. So after my first job, I was only there for about three months, unfortunately. Uh, it seemed like I wasn't a very good culture fit. And I can see it now in retrospect. I was just out of college. You know, I wanted to conquer the world, so to speak. And I wanted to change everything. And I wanted to implement all these new ideas. And um the people at this company probably thought I wasn't going to make a good long-term employee. So they let me go. Right. And I, after about a month, I started work at another company. And this was you know, the polar opposite. It was a very, very traditional uh, firm where you'd have to punch in when you arrive and you'd have to punch in when you, uh, when you leave and you have you know, scheduled uh, coffee breaks and that kind of stuff. The first company was a more Google-style company. And I really hated it. I remember we had these cubicles and the cubicles kind of, uh, the, you know, the open part was um, towards a hallway and the boss would walk up and down the hallway checking what each person was doing. And I didn't think I could be there for very long. I just really didn't like the environment. I, I wasn't ready for it. I, I am glad that I had the opportunity because it kind of let me see the other side of the coin, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was just married and I needed work and I wasn't making enough money. So I started doing some freelancing in the evenings and I came across a company that uh, was essentially doing what I do now, which is placing developers uh, on contracts with uh, remote companies, either in the US or Canada. So I took a part-time job in the evenings. Uh, I was working probably 8.30 to 6 p.m. at one job and then I'd take a two-hour break and then work 8... 8 p.m. to 12 in the other one. Uh, and I did that for a good three months until I finally decided that I wanted to go full-time uh, into contract work or freelancing. Uh -huh. And by that time, I was fortunately making enough money doing that. Uh, so I was offered a uh, longer-term project in Ruby on Rails uh, through this, uh, this uh, company that hired me as a freelancer. Um, I worked on that project for about a year. Uh, it was really good experience. You know, I, I worked with three or four other very experienced Rails developers. And that, that really opened my eyes to a lot of the things that I've been missing out on, you know, conventions and best practices. And I even learned Git workflow on that job. I think that wasn't something I had had a chance to experience before. And eventually that project ended, right? It was about a year, I think, that, that it took us to complete that project. It ended and I was out of work again. By that time, I had a good number of friends who were developers down here in Dominican Republic. And I started looking around for work for myself, uh, Upwork, Freelancer, that kind, of, that kind of place. I had some success. And then I suddenly realized, you know, if I can find work for myself, I can probably find work for my friends uh, who are also making whatever it was, $600 a month or something like mm -hmm. that, that our salaries were. <laughs> and uh, I, I went down to Reddit and I posted on, I think it was one of the entrepreneurship forums. I said, look, this is what I want to do. And I got a reply from my first customer, uh, who is still a customer today. Uh, he said, you know, let's have a conversation. 
Um, and I got one of my friends to work with him. And that's kind of how we got started in that area. Very cool. It's funny how you, uh, you know, you, you talk about Reddit. That, that's one place I don't think I would have thought of to, you know, start doing something like this. Yeah, I don't think it was the best place. I just think I was really lucky. Now, you know, to this day, we're still trying to figure out what the best way to, to meet new customers is. Obviously, uh-huh. one of the best ways is just doing good work and being referred again. Um, but right. that was a shot in the dark and it turned out to work. To work. Very cool. So how many folks are working with you now over at... Uh... Blue Coating, yeah. We have... Uh, so we've grown quite a bit since we last spoke. I think last time we spoke, we had probably five full-time employees here in, in office in Santiago. Then maybe 15 to 20 contractors we were working with. Uh, we now have 10 employees in the office here and probably 30 uh, guys that we're working with abroad. Oh, wow. Either here in Dominican Republic or other countries. Yeah, yeah. Things have grown quite a bit. It's exciting. It brings its uh, challenges. Uh, you know, we're uh, we're at a place in the company where, and this is a joke I have. You know, when when the company was small, if there was a bad month in sales, I could just take up for my savings account mm-hmm. and <laughs> cover expenses. And I really can't pay ten people's salary out of my bank account right now. So uh, it, it's a, a kind of an uncomfortable spot in terms of growth. You know, we're we're not small enough to be comfortable, but we're not large enough to be established. Uh, but we're working through it. Well, good. It's good to hear. So um, is there anything else that you've done with Ruby or the community that you're particularly proud of? Sure. Um, so I, you know, I don't have a lot to say in terms of open source contributions. Uh, most of the things that I've done have been related to either Spree or Solidus. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, they're... Spree, uh, yes. Solidus, no. Right. So Solidus is essentially a fork of Spree. Okay. And... It also has a nice community around it. There's been a lot of development around Solidus recently. And we have uh, several projects that we're working on uh, related to either Solidus or Spree. Um, so every once in a while, I'll find a bug or I'll find something that we need and I'll build a little pull request to, to help with that. But, uh, you know, I think part of my contributions have mostly been with local software developers. Uh, so I've been actively involved in local software development groups here in the Dominican Republic. Uh, the developer community here is not very large, uh, but it's pretty united. Uh, you know, we have probably six, seven Facebook groups that, that all developers are in, and there's uh, a few active guys that organize events. Uh, we had a Pi Caribbean, which is, you know, a PyCon uh, here uh, just a few months ago. And so every year there's, you know, a few conferences that get set up and so on. And I regularly participate either as a speaker or helping in some other manner. Oftentimes I, you know, my, my talks are related to the business aspects of software development. Right. Um, one of the big subjects is freelancing. So I did freelancing for, for a while and it's always uh, interesting for everybody to kind of hear some of my perspectives on how I got things done. But then I'm also uh, big on Ruby on Rails and a lot of People down here know me as that Ruby on Rails guy, you know, one of the five or six or seven. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done a few uh, a few talks on Ruby on Rails. Nice. What are you working on now? So right now, definitely working on our company on Blue Coding. Uh, I've been at it for four years now. We have come into an interesting place where we started to get a lot of development clients. Uh, you know, most most of what we do is uh, staffing. Essentially, you know, we help companies find good developers and manage the relationship. But 
on the other side of things, we started to get some customers who actually wanted us to manage their uh, development process. And most of our staffing clients are companies that they already have technical people, right? They, right. they have a CTO yeah. or they, they know how to manage a process. They know how to do QA. They know how to guide the developers. But we came across these, uh, these smaller clients, uh, which are not necessarily technology-focused companies, uh, but they rely on technology. So a lot of them are e-commerce, for example, uh-huh. uh, companies. And uh, you know, they know what they're doing, but they, um, they're not really in a, in a place where they can manage a development team. And so right. we decided to help them with these things. And uh, we'll sit down with them, have conversations about the, bus- the direction their business is going, uh, what they need in technical terms, and then go off and build it for them. Uh, most of these are ongoing engagements that we have. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been growing steadily. Uh, it's been a nice experience. I'll tell you, it's very challenging to manage a development team, it's much more challenging than um, managing a non-technical team. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the, the challenges we faced, and this goes back to your earlier question, is I'm the lead developer on some of these projects, but I'm also trying to manage operations uh, right. for the rest of the company. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, I, I can identify with this, yes. <laughs> so how do I split up my time? And uh, you know, the conclusion that I got to was I need to step out of these development projects. So, so we're, we're currently trying to hire a lead Ruby on Rails developer. If anybody out there listening uh, wants to look for a new opportunity, uh, it's pretty sunny down here. We do accept remote, uh, but if you want to relocate, we'd be happy to, to talk. So yes, uh, we're looking to replace me for the technical part of things because the truth is that my time right now will be much better focused on, on sales and business development and other operations related things. So that's that's our big challenge right now. That makes sense. And yeah, just to give people a picture, because uh, I'm in kind of the same boat with the podcasts, right? I, I'm i the host on probably 75% or more of the podcasts we do. Mm-hmm. Um, a host or the host. And, you know, I'm trying to do uh, sponsorship sales and make all that stuff work. And then I have the remote conferences and I've started uh, doing YouTube stuff and pull, yeah, and so it'd be nice to yeah take some of these bits and you know give them to somebody else and so yeah, and and hiring's hard. Oh yeah, definitely, especially when it's for such a critical position. You know, but once yeah. you have a good lead developer in place, the rest of the team, if they're good, they'll 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 click in. Uh, but you need somebody that you can trust to kind of lead the charge. Yeah. So yes, anybody who wants to shoot us our resume, you can shoot it at hr at bluecoding.com. And anybody who's looking to hire developers, uh, info at bluecoding.com. Nice. Well, the last thing that I usually bring up with people is picks. Do you have some stuff you want to shout out about? This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the hosting provider I use for devchat.tv. I also use it for my applications that manage the RSS feeds, scheduling, and sponsorships involved in delivering these shows. DigitalOcean is easy to use, has data centers all over the world, and provides terrific services including server hosting and object storage for delivering your web applications and assets quickly and easily. I use DigitalOcean because I love their interface. I get SSD storage for my servers, and their support replies quickly. So go check them out at DigitalOcean.com. Yes, sure. I actually collected some things, and these are all very basic things, but for anybody who's trying to get into Ruby... Uh, Ruby on Rails, uh, which is my thing. But the first one is one that I mentioned earlier, Codecademy. Uh, so Codecademy is essentially this website where you can 
take programming courses. They don't have an awful lot of things, but the courses are very good quality. Uh, they have uh, several Ruby-related courses. They have HTML, CSS, and uh, some more modern stuff. I saw they had a React JS, for example, course. So that's my go-to place uh, that I, I send my friends to whenever they say, oh, you know, I want to learn coding. Well, I'll say, you know, go look at Codecademy, try it out, and if you like it, I'll send you some more resources. So that's, that's the first. The second is Rails Tutorial by Michael Hartle. This is a guide. It's a, it's a book, I guess. You can find it at railstutorial.org. And you can either pay for it or just read it for free on, on the website. And essentially, it's a hands-on guide to building a Rails app. Uh, so each chapter covers a few items. You know, One is about building your first page. Then you'll go into resources. And it, it moves on. And this was one of the first guides I picked up with Ruby on Rails. Every new developer that we have come in here uh, that's starting a Rails project that hasn't worked with Rails before, I'll send them to read this book. Once you get through it, you understand about 80% of what's going on in Rails. And then finally, we have Railscasts. For those of you who haven't heard about it, Railscasts are short videos on specific subjects around Rails. They haven't been updated since about, since about 2013, I think. But there is still a ton of relevant information there. Uh, you can just Google it, Railscasts. And I think last year, they made all of the, the what used to be the pro episodes uh, free now. So everything is accessible. That makes sense. Yeah, I remember uh, all of the good stuff that Ryan Bates did over there. And it, right. it's a tremendous resource. And yeah, it was it was sad when he went on hiatus and didn't come back. But there's a ton of good stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was actually... I'm wondering about it because I'm, I'm afraid it's going to get outdated soon. You know, things are changing a lot in Rails. Rails 5 brought in a couple of new things. But so far, it's, a, it's a, still a very useful source of information. Yeah, absolutely. I actually offered to buy, buy Railscast from Ryan a few years oh, wow. ago. But it never materialized. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to speculate as to the reasons. And I know that he had some good ones. So anyway... But yeah, so it's a tremendous resource. Tremendous enough that, yeah, I was willing to buy it from him and try and continue it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm kind of curious about what's going on in uh, just new resources uh, these days. We have, uh, there's something called Platzi. I think it's P-L-A-T-Z-I. And it's, uh, it's an, again, an online education platform uh, that focuses around tech stuff. And I think it's only in Spanish. So it's something that some of the developers here have tried out, and, and they think it's really good. Um, but I have I have got, got to get back into my learning mode and pick up some new books because I've been just working with what I've got for, for a while now. Yep, absolutely. I'm going to throw in a few picks. Uh, you mentioned Railscasts. There's another screencast series by Dave Kimura, who's on the Ruby Rogues podcast now, called Drifting Ruby, and it's pretty darn good. I've been pretty happy with it. And he just started doing pro episodes. So um, nice. well, more take content a look. from him. Yeah, check it out. Another uh, thing that I've been looking at, uh, there's a lot of chatter in the Ruby community these days about front ends. So a lot of people will, you know, complain or not complain, I guess, <laughs> uh, about certain frameworks, you know, React, Angular, Vue, yeah. uh, et cetera. There is a conference coming up in October, basically in my backyard uh, up in Park City, Utah. Um, which is, it's beautiful up there. It's up in the mountains. Um, it's typically one of the places that people go to go skiing. It's up mm -hmm. above Sundance. It's where the Sundance Film Festival is held. Um, if you're familiar with any of that stuff. It's called the Framework Summit. 
And so they're going to have like 15 minute speeches about the state of a whole bunch of different frameworks. I'm actually going to be speaking at it, or at least so I've been told by one of the organizers about stimulus, which is the framework that uh, DHH and company put together over Basecamp. They tried to get somebody from Basecamp and couldn't get anybody. So then it was me because I'm a Rails guy, I guess. Um, <laughs> but my good friend Joe Eames from uh, JavaScript Jabber, Adventures in Angular and Views on View, he, he's one of the organizers there. So he's like, I have an idea. Why don't you give that talk? And I'm like, okay. So I'm going to be speaking on that there. I'm also going to be at Ruby Hack, which is May 3rd and 4th. Um, I know that this may come out afterward. In fact, I'm pretty sure it does. But yeah, go look at my talk. I'm speaking about blockchain and cryptocurrencies with Ruby. So that should be fun. And Very cool. uh, yeah, just fun stuff like that. And then before this, you met, you asked about whether or not I was going to microconf and uh, I'm going to be there too. That's also though before Ruby hack. So I'm probably right. going to, you know, it's probably too late to catch me in Las Vegas, but uh, I'm usually in Las Vegas a few times a year. So if you're from Las Vegas, keep an ear out. I'll try and tweet when I'm back down there. I will probably also, though, I'm going to be in Seattle for Microsoft Build on May 7th through 9th, which is, I think, when this will probably come out. It might, it might still be too late with this episode. I, I don't have the schedule in front of me, so I don't know. How but do you get any work done with that schedule? That's a lot of conferences. <laughs> I don't. I'm also going to be at MicroConf next week, or not MicroConf, NGConf, which is the big Angular conference next week. Right. Um, I'm interviewing speakers there, and I'm trying to make my way over to Ruby Kaigi in June. So we'll see what, what happens there. I'm also going to be at Podcast Movement in July. That's in Philadelphia. So if you're in any of those places and you want to hook up, it would be fun just to chat, grab some food. Uh, have a conversation, see what you're about, all that stuff. So, and then also, if you have any suggestions, um, I've been updating devchat.tv. So, if you want to go uh, check out the website and say, oh, gee, I really wish you had this, that, or the other, then uh, let me know. David, if people want to check out where you're at these days, you know, kind of get a, a read on what you're working on, where do they go? Is it Twitter? Is it GitHub? Is it Somewhere yeah, else. that's a good question. You can check out davidhemat.com. That's David, then H-E-M-M-A-T.com. Um, it's actually not updated as we're speaking, but by the time this is out, it will be. So yeah, I'll, I'll post my info there. If you want to reach out to me, then my email, you can find it there. And, or shoot me an email at davidh at bluecodening.com. All right, sounds good. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for coming, David. Thanks a lot. All right, good well... Talking to you uh, yeah, you too. We'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.